Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to spend some time with you on a Wednesday afternoon and uh, in a chilly Joburg, a little bit cold today, but hopefully the ideas that we will share and some of the Torah that we will learn will warm us up. Today is the sixth day of the month of Av in the Hebrew calendar, the 3rd of August, 2022. And uh, of course that means we're in the nine days, the nine days of mourning, and that ends with Tisha B'Av. So this year Tisha B'Av is actually on Shabbos, but the fast is pushed off till Sunday. So in a moment we'll talk about the nine days and Tisha B'Av. Before we get there though, I would like to mention that yesterday, the 5th of Av, was the yacht site of the Arizal. Rav Yitzhak Luria Ashkenazi, the great and holy Arizal. So Arizal stands for Rabbeinu, so it's Aleph, is Adunenu Rabbeinu Yitzchak. So it's Rav Yitzhak Luria, um, that's who's Yotzan, and the Zichron of the is the Zal, Arizal. So the, the Arizal was one of the greatest Jews that lived in the last 500 years. He was born in the year 1534. Um, in Yerushalayim, Irak, Kodesh, and he was a, um, he, he's quite soon after he was born, his father passed away. His father was Ashkenazi and his mother was Sfardi. And after his father died when he was young, he moved together with his mother to be, to live, uh, by his uncle who was in Egypt at the time. And at those, at that time in the 16th century, there were some great sages that were in Egypt. Uh, the Rad Vaz, Rav David Ben Zimri, who was one of the great sages in the world at the time. And there is, I learned with him. And of course, the Shita Mukabetsis, who was Rav Betzala Ashkenazi, who was uh, one of the great rabbis of the time. In fact, the Shita Mukabetsis is a commentary on the Talmud. And uh, in fact, the Arizal wrote parts of it together with his Rebbe. At the age of 22, he was married at a young age, and at the age of 22, he began to study Kabbalah, he began to study the Zohar. Already at a very young age, at the age of 15, he was learning with these great Rabbonim. He was a tremendous genius and um, acknowledged to be a, a great Eloi, a, a very um, brilliant prodigy. And so by 22, he had mastered most areas of Torah. He started to learn the Zohar. And he began to uh, learn for many, many hours, day and night in seclusion. And he, he was uh, in Egypt at the age of 36, at the age of 35, actually. He had a Gilu Eliyahu. I heard this from Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, um, who's one of the great Mukubalim of our time. And uh, he said that at the age of 35, the Arizal had a Gilu Eliyahu, which means Eliyahu Navi spoke to him and told him that he's got two years to live. And he must go to Tzfas in Eretz Israel and go to learn by um, his ta- the, the person who would be his Talmud, Rav Chaim Vital. And so the Arizal moves to Tzfas in Eretz Israel, and uh, he was in Tzfas for two years. Rav Chaim Vital um, was with him for a year and ten months. And Rav Chaim Vital wrote down the teachings of his Rebbe, the Arizal. 
He wrote it down in a sefer called H Sha'arim. And uh, he said that he only wrote down those parts that the Ariza allowed him to reveal. And the H Sha'arim is something that was learnt by the Vulnagoan for his whole life. And the Vulnagoan only mastered certain parts of it. So we could imagine the unbelievable wisdom and depth of teaching that the Arizal taught his Talmud, Rav Chaim Vital. Um, he was in Sfas together also with some other famous Kabbalists that were uh, learned from him. Uh, of course, Rav Yosef Carroll, the base Yosef, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, was there at the time. He was an older man. He was in his 80s, uh, whereas the Arizal was a young man. He was 36, 37 years old. Um, also part of the Arizal's group of Kabbalists was Rav Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak, who's the author of um, Rav Shlomo Alkabetz, the author of uh, Lachado D that we sing on a Friday night. It was written by Rav Shlomo Alkabetz, and the Al Sheikh was there as well. So we had a group of outstanding sages and great Kabbalists who were there under the leadership of the Arizal, who was the youngest of all of them. Um, he de- died at the age of 38, and still today. People uh, visit the the uh, grave of the Arizal in Sfas, and there's a mikvah called the Ariz Mikvah over there in Sfas, and uh, something worthwhile doing to go to Sfas and to to go to the grave of the Arizal, to go to the Arizal's mikvah. There's a haftacha, a promise that if you uh, go into the Arizal's mikvah, which is a natural stream from the mountain, so the water is absolutely freezing, uh, not a good idea to do that in winter, which I did. I can still feel the shivers from it, but uh, in summer it's much easier. And uh, there's a haftacha that a person will be able to do tshuva before they leave this world if they go to the Arizal's mikvah. So the Ari was just uh, indescribable. His, his Talmud, Rav Chaim Vitald, says that he was like the Navim. He knew everything. He knew Kol HaTorah Kuloi. And from that point on, he transformed the study of Kabbalah. And Rav Yaakov Hillel emphasizes that he reached these heights, these levels of, of righteousness and this understanding and, and uh, knowledge of Torah not through these strange and uh, weird things. He did so through his sickness, through his righteousness, through working on his midos, through midos tovus, through his humility, and through his tremendous hasmada, tremendous dedication to Limud Hatayra. There are no shortcuts to greatness and to holiness and to connecting with God, and the result didn't take any shortcuts. And he worked very hard on himself, on his character, on his personality, on his self-control, on his humility, and on his uh, learning of Torah. And as a result, he was given great gifts from Hashem and revealed things which were indescribable. The way Rabbi Hillel explains it is that he created a new vocabulary in Kabbalah, the Arizal. It was a whole new understanding of Kabbalah. And ever since then, um, whoever studies Kabbalah, which I don't, but certain holy people do, and they follow the system of the Arizal, the system that he laid out, that he explained, and that he um, made the, the keys to understanding the Zohar, which was written by Rabbi Shim Yochai 2,000 years ago, were actually, it was locked, people didn't understand what the Zohar was saying. The Arizal opened that up and explained the whole system um, in a way that people could relate to and identify with. In fact, uh, the Shlach says that since the giving of the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu Har Sinai, um, there was never a, a, a giloi, which means a revelation of Torah understanding, um, like that 
apart from the times of the Arizal. So the only time to match that Giloy was in the lifetime of the Arizal. Such was his understanding and wisdom. So yesterday was his Yotzeit. He died in the year 1572. And the Arizal already laid the way to understanding the Kabbalistic wisdom um, of the Torah. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about uh, some great individuals. The Arizal There's another great individual that I want to talk about as well. His Yotzeit was yesterday, and that's Rav Chaim so yesterday, today is the 6th of Av, as we mentioned. Yesterday, the 5th of Av was the Yosite of the great and holy Arizal, Rav Yitzhak Luria, Ashkenazi, as he was known, because he was an Ash- his father was Ashkenazi. Yesterday also was the Yosite of the great Rav Chaim Oizer Grzynski. Rav Chaim Oizer was born in the year 1863. He died in 1940. So it was just before the Nazis invaded Eastern Europe. Um, Hashem perhaps wanted to save the... Rav Chaim of the pain and the suffering that happened very soon after his death, the next year. Rav Chaim Ozov was a, a unbelievable genius and a man of great righteousness who led European Jewry from the, uh, for probably about uh, 30 years. His father was a Talmud of Rav Yisrael Salanta and uh, who was of course the, the founder of the Muslim movement in Lithuania. And Rav Chaim Ozov was uh, gifted with a incredible memory. He could recite complex texts word for word, and uh, he could do things simultaneously. You know, most people can't multitask. Certainly men are struggle in that area, myself included. Rav Chaim Oizer was famous for his ability to answer a shaila and write a tshuva at the same time. And he had that ability. He once said that he didn't know what it was like to forget. He remembered everything. Now, he was photographic, an unbelievable genius, and even more than that, a person with a heart as wide as the ocean um, who felt the pain and suffering of the Jewish people and guided Klai Yisrael. Certainly, in the years between the wars, um, he was the main figure who led East European Jewry. Um, and uh, he authored the famous work called Achiaze, which is uh, a, which is his chubas, which is the answers to the many thousands of questions that he received. He's buried in Vilna, the Vilna Cemetery. I've been to his graveside, and uh, one, uh, uh, it's a very worthwhile thing to go there and to go to the graveside of the um, of Rav Chaim Oizer. Um, one also sees the apartment where he stayed. The building is still intact and one could see the apartment where he and his wife lived, um, which is also a, a powerful experience. So yesterday, not only was the Yotzer of the Arizal, but also the Yotzer of Rav Chaim Oizer. And uh, it was the 81st Yotzer of Rav Chaim Oizer. And uh, we remember his contribution to Klaistral and his genius um, on his Yotzer, which was yesterday. So now I want to move on. To, so today is the 6th of Av, as we mentioned. Tomorrow is the 7th. So it means that Friday is the 8th of Av. And the 8th of Av is also a significant date within the Jewish calendar because the 8th of Av, of Av, 
uh, in the year 1942 was the day when the Nazis ordered the deportation of all Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto. The Warsaw Ghetto had 400,000 people in it, which was 30% of the population of the city. Imagine such a thing. The Nazis um, occupied Poland, and they then, soon after the occupation, they then round up one-third of Warsaw's population, 400,000 people crammed into a tiny little area, um, which was absolutely inhumane and it was just unbelievable that people would be forced to live under those conditions. It was completely unbearable. Um, and in its three years of existence, thousands of Jews died of disease and starvation, but the Jews still managed, managed to live with tremendous resilience. They continued their religious and cultural activities in the ghetto. Um, and so on the eve of Tisha B'Av, the day before Tisha B'Av 1942, which is the saddest day of the Jewish year, the Nazis did these things deliberately. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they began to deport the remaining Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, at that date, there were 265,000 Jews left in the Warsaw Ghetto. And uh, for a period of two months, these deportations continued uh, directly to the Treblinka death camp where they were murdered. When the Nazis wanted to liquidate the ghetto, the, the Jewish resistance fighters began to take action and they had dug hundreds of bunkers under the houses and they connected to each other through the sewerage system. In the spring of 1943, there were 750 Jewish partisans that began the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. They killed about 300 Germans and there was a month of fighting until the uh, entire ghetto was successfully liquidated. So that the anniversary of that um, is going to be on um, on Friday, which is actually the 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the 8th of Av. And that then brings us to Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av. Tisha B'Av, which this year is on um, Shabbos, but the fast we only observe then is Doiches pushed off to Saturday night and Sunday. Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, is a day of great suffering for the Jewish people. Um, the first time the 9th of Av and suffering took place was when the Jews um, came out of, the spies came back from Eretz Israel with their bad report and the, they gave a negative report of the land the people listened to them and cried and despaired. And Hashem said, um, on this day you weep for no reason. In future generations, there will be good reason to weep on this day. So Tishbab really is the Achilles heel, is the weakness of the Jewish people. Uh, we know people with regards to human health, if they have a predisposition to some sort of weakness, you know, if they have headaches or if they have a sore stomach or something like that. So the first thing to go when they're under pressure, when they're stressed or when their bodies run down is that weakness, is that weak area. So likewise, Klai Yisrael, um, our weakness is the first nine days of Av and particular Tisha B'ab. So if we're in a vulnerable place and if we are not standing on firm spiritual ground, the first, the expression of that will usually be at this time, usually be around about Tisha B'Av. And uh, we've seen that throughout the turbulent history of the Klai of the Jewish people, 
The first temple was destroyed in the year 586 before the Common Era on the 9th of Avon Tishabav, which is no coincidence. So again, it started when the spies came back and gave their bad report and the Jewish people cried on this day. Hashem, this would be a day of, said, this will be a day of crying for the Jewish people. And so it was. The first temple destroyed. Um, 1500 years later, in the year 586 before the Common Era, um, on the 9th of Av, the second temple too was destroyed on the 9th of Av in the year 70 of the Common Era. So it's not a coincidence, right? There are 365 days in the year. So why is it that the first temple is destroyed in Teshubah? The second temple is destroyed in Teshubah? It's not a chance. It's not a coincidence. The great city of Beitar was captured by the Romans and tens of thousands of Jews were killed also on Tishabav, and the wicked Turnus Rufus, he plowed the site of the temple and surrounding areas, also was on this fateful day of Tishabav. And so we, and, and, and not only was it in ancient times that Tishabav was a day of sadness and calamity for Klai Israel, but we see that unfortunately that's followed through into more recent times. So for example, the Jews were expelled from Spain. The Inquisition began on Tisha B'Av in 1492. Um, World War One broke out on Tisha B'Av in the year 1914. And so it's a day which is obviously the precursor to, well, sorry, World War One broke up in 1914 Tisha B'Av and was the precursor to World War Two and all the terrible suffering. There was terrible suffering for the Jewish people in World War One. There were many, many communities and hundreds of thousands of Jews that were displaced and went through terrible, horrible suffering. It just is uh, pale in comparison to the atrocities of World War II, but uh, nonetheless there was terrible suffering. And, of course, we know what happened with World War II and the Holocaust. Um, and so Tisha B'Av is the day when we remember the vulnerabilities of Klai Israel. And we have a framework of halacha, which we are obligated to follow and keep, um, but the, which I'll discuss in a moment. But the halacha that we observe is always a framework within which to do the spiritual work that we're supposed to, the inner work that we're supposed to. So the Jewish religion, as I repeat many, many times, is a religion that gives us a framework which facilitates the inner work that we're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be focusing on and we're supposed to be applying ourselves to. And, uh, and so we can just observe the outer rituals and, and commandments and miss the point and not do the inner work. We have to do what Hashem commands us to do. Of course we have to do. But we have to realize that it's a framework within which to encourage our doing that inner work that Hashem wants us to do as Jews, as human beings. And so what is the inner work of Tisha B'Av? What is the, we'll discuss the framework and the halachas in a moment. But the inner work is to remember that we have a covenant with Hashem. We have a deal with God. We have a bris. And that bris, that covenant, demands of us, requires of us, it was a covenant that we enter, we, every single Jew, our ancestors, stood at Harasanah, somebody converted to Judaism, so they joined the Jewish people. And we are obligated, either we're born as a Jew, or we decide to join the Jewish people, and undergo an orthodox conversion, because any other conversion is not valid. Um, and that then brings us into the Jewish people, and that binds us either by birth or by conversion to this covenant with God. 
And when we go against the covenant, when we don't live up to our obligations and commitments in this covenant, so then we lose divine protection. Hashem will look after us. Hashem will protect us when we do what we are committed to do as a nation. When we turn our backs on that commitment and we no longer fulfill God's commandments and we no longer attach ourselves to that covenant by keeping the Torah and mitzvahs, so then we lose divine protection. That's the deal. The, the, the Torah is full of it. We're reading Sefer Devarim. Sefer Devarim is full of it. Those are the terms of the agreement. That's what Hashem says. If you do, we read it in the second paragraph of the Shema, twice a day. You fulfill what I demand of you to live a life of spirituality, to live a life uh, where we follow the commandments, to live a life of holiness and of mitzvahs. And then you will enjoy peace, you'll enjoy prosperity, you'll enjoy security. But if you don't fulfill the commandments and you turn your backs on the covenant that we've en- we entered into at Mount Sinai, so then we will not have the p- divine security and protection and prosperity. And, unfo- and, and when that happens, when the Jewish people turn our backs on God and therefore we uh, no longer have God's protection, so then usually the time when that comes into being is on Tisha B'Av. And, you know, that's when it shows. And so at this time we remember that. We remind ourselves of that. And we we remember the bad choices of the Jewish people throughout history. And we remember the consequences of those choices, which usually played out at this time in Tisha B'Av. And we try and address that. We try and address those spiritual weaknesses that led to the suffering of Klai Israel. So the Gemara tells us, first temple, we discussed this last week, actually, was destroyed because of Shvichastamim, Gilorais, Avodazora, the three cardinal sins, that there was bloodshed, there was sexual immorality, there was idol worship within the Jewish people, and that led to a decay of the first temple from within, and then at just collapsed as a result. Um, and the second temple was sinas was senseless hatred. And so we need to work on those things um, when we remember the consequences of those choices that we make. And so we should all be thinking about the work we're supposed to do, recommitting ourselves to the covenant with God and fulfilling our obligations as responsible, active and the holy Jews. And that's the, that's the inner work of Tishabav. And that's, so we look at our own lives and we see where can I grow? What can I improve? What's the next step in my growth as a Jew in terms of my observ- observance? Maybe it's Shabbos Kodesh. Maybe it's Kashrus. Maybe it's Tarasamishbacha, family purity. Maybe it's uh, davening in a minion and doing more learning. And saying brochas and we're we can, you know, keep going all day with the wonderful list of mitzvahs that we're obligated to perform. But that's the work of Tisha B'Av, is to focus on what our obligations are. Am I living up to those responsibilities and obligations? And it starts with ourselves. We're not to look at others and, and point fingers at anybody. We look at ourselves and we address what areas need work in our own spiritual journey. And uh, 
And, you know, to take on things is not easy, but it's it's easier than working on our midas. Even if a person's observant of the commandments, is fully shomer mitzvahs in mitzvah which we all should be. So we have a tremendous amount of work to do. We have to work on our anger. We have to work on our selfishness. We have to work on our taiva, our desires, and getting too caught up in the material physical world and letting that dominate us and be the focus of our being as opposed to connecting to spirituality and to godliness by controlling our lower self and our animal instincts and our appetites for power and for pleasure, keeping that at bay and building relationships with those around us, which we discussed last week, the sinaschina means that we hold ourselves back and we create space for others. And when we create space for others and we love others and we empathize with others and we truly see them, and their plight, we only don't only see ourselves. That's the natural state of a person, to be narcissistic and to be self-focused and self-centered. So when we can control that and put a, a boundary on that, a gvu, and create space for others. So that's the beginning of a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage is when we control our ego, our self, and we allow space for the other. And we show the other that we see them. We don't just see them physically, but we see them emotionally and spiritually. And there's space for that person in my world. And we, we create an emotional space for them and a spiritual space for them. And when a person sees that their spouse is doing that, so then that's the beginning of a healthy relationship. Then they can build on that. And they then reciprocate and create space for the spouse. And that creates a mutual uh, love and a mutual support and loyalty and respect for, for each other. And that's the foundation of a healthy relationship. And with that foundation, the couple can then face the challenges of life and the vicissitudes that are sent their way. And uh, please God, begin to build a family and to bring children into that space of mutual respect and love and, um, and uh, harmony. And that's the beginning of a family, of a home, and then also, once we've built that muscle and created space for another and controlled our ego, there's also space for Hashem in our world. And we can see that there's a God and that there's an all-powerful spiritual force that created this world, that created us, that gave us this great gift of life, that gives us the opportunity to develop ourselves and to grow. So that's some of the work we're supposed to be doing in the, this time at this period. Um, please stay with us when we come back. We're going to talk about the halachas of Tisha B'Av. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the um, inner work to be done on Tisha B'Av. So now let's discuss the framework, the halachas that we're supposed to observe on Tisha B'Av. So Tisha B'Av is quite a unique day in that it's a fast day and a day of mourning. So we have um, some of the uh, the restrictions like we do on Yom Kippur with regards to fasting. And then we also have restrictions um, like we are sitting Shiva. So the fast means that there's obviously no eating and drinking. And that's from Shabbos afternoon. So as we mentioned, Tisha B'Av is um, 
is on on Shabbos, on Saturday, is the 9th of Av, but we push the fast off to the next day, to the 10th of Av. And so we shouldn't be eating anything from five, here in Johannesburg from 5.41 on Shabbos afternoon. And um, so that's when the fast begins, even though the Shabbos comes out at quarter past 6, at 6.16, but we stop eating from 5.41 Shabbos afternoon. So have a Shabbos Sudas before then. And then we conclude the fast on Sunday evening at 6.08. So um, eight minutes past six is when the fast ends on Sunday evening. So there's no eating and drinking on Tisha B'Av. Also, we don't bathe for pleasure. So one can't wash oneself on Tisha B'Av unless there's, you know, mud or some dirt that they have to clean off. We can't apply oils on Tisha B'Av, no anointing, so no makeup and no perfume or deodorant. Um, we don't wear leather shoes on Tisha B'Av. That's a prohibition. And also, no marital relations on Tisha B'Av. So those are the five, the, what we call the Chamesh Inuyim, the five afflictions that we observe on Tisha B'Av. We actually can do malacha, we can drive, and we can, you know, do creative activity, but we're not allowed to do these five things. Eating, drinking, bathing for pleasure, applying, anointing, applying oils, wearing leather shoes, and marital relations. But in addition to that, it doesn't stop there, in addition to that, to that also in Tisha B'Av, we have some observances that would apply for a person who, God forbid, is sitting Shiva. So that means that also we don't greet people in Tisha B'Av. A person who's sitting Shiva is not allowed to greet somebody because they're not in a place or in a state where they're friendly. The, the Jewish religion requires us to be friendly. Have a, have a Kabul called Adam Pnei, uh, Panim Yafos. We've got to receive every person with a Seva Panim Yafos with a positive disposition. With a positive face, it says Rabbi Yochanan will be hiktim l'kol adam afilu nachri b'shuk. He would be say shalom. He would greet everybody. Rabbi Yochanan was a great sage, and he would ne- not allow anybody to greet him first. He would always be first to greet. That he was very quick, even a non-Jew in the marketplace. So that's the disposition of a religious Jew: is that we must be positive and we must be friendly and we must smile and greet people with a warmth. Um, not everybody does that, but that's the requirement according to Aloha. But the day that we don't do that is Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av we're not allowed to greet because it's not a frivolous day. It's not a happy day. It's a day when we are focused on the morning, on the sadness, like a person who's going through Shiva and is experiencing that trauma and that sadness. We do so also in Tisha B'Av. So there's no greeting. We also don't learn the regular Torah because the Pasuk says, Pikude Hashem Yisharim Masam Chelev that the statutes of Hashem are straight, they bring joy to the heart. Learning Torah is a great joy that we experience in this world. And so we don't learn the regular parts of Torah that we do the rest of the year. Um, we can learn about the laws of mourning and about the destruction of the temples. There are certain things we're allowed to learn, but not everything else. Thirdly, we're not allowed to actually work on Tisha B'Av. We're not allowed to be involved in commercial activities because it distracts us from focusing on the morning and on the message of the day. Um, this year, that's a Sunday, so it makes it much easier. So generally, people try not to work at least until midday um, on Tisha B'Av. And finally, also, we just like a person in the morning, and we don't sit on a high chair. So you'll notice in Tisha B'Av, when you go to a shul, to an Orthodox shul, that people are sitting on the ground. People are you not know, allowed to sit on a chair that's higher than Shloisha Tafachim, than 24 centimeters. So we sit on a lower chair like a mourner does as well. So and we do that until midday, until the afternoon. So we fast 
and we, we observe the Chamesh Inuyim, and we observe these other restrictions with regards to mourning, and all of that is a framework that enables us to, um, to focus on the pet and powerful message of the day, and that is the sadness and the loss that emanates from Klai Yisrael losing God's protection and rebelling against God and turning away from God and from the obligations and commitments of the Jewish people. And so that will be, as mentioned, on Saturday night and on Sunday. Okay, so, and, and also it's to, just to remind everybody, we're in the nine days. So the, the, this period of mourning, we started out with the three weeks with the fast of the Shiva Asper Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, and then it gets more intense from Rosh Chodesh Av. We're now the sixth of Av, so we are in the nine days of mourning, which means, and, and this is also the week of Tishabav, so Sfadim start, the restriction of the nine is from, from Shavuot Shechalboy, from the week in which Tishabav begins, which this year, since Tishabav was in Shabbos, Shavuot Shechalboy is this week that we're in, which started from um, Sunday. That means the restrictions of the nine days apply, which means that we don't, uh, also we're not bathing for pleasure already now in the nine days. We don't eat meat and drink wine. We don't wear freshly laundered clothing and we don't do laundry or buy new clothing or make new clothing. All of those prohibitions um, are already um, in place now during the nine days. And then that's going to be, apart from Shabbos, Shabbos you don't have the prohibitions. And then Tishabav is the more intense morning. Um, as we mentioned. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We'll end off with a very beautiful idea of the Nasivo Shalom, the Snoni Marebi. Nasivo Shalom says that this week we read Parsha's Devarim, and Devarim is always the Parsha we read before Tishabav. It's called Shabbos Chazon. Chazon comes from the Haftarah that we read, um, which, which is from the beginning of the book of Isaiah, of Yeshaya. It starts out with the words Chazon Yeshayahu, the vision of Isaiah which he warns the people that unless they repent and unless they change their bad ways, um, there will be calamity and destruction that will befall the Jewish people. Uh, that's what the vision, this chazon, this vision of Yeshaya is. And on Shabbos chazon, we always read from the beginning of Sefer Parshat Devarim, which is the start, the beginning of the fifth book of the Torah, Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is filled with many magnificent mitzvahs of the Torah and um, primarily is based on the obligation of a Jew to love Hashem, to cling to Hashem, to appreciate God's kindness and God's presence in the world. And we just have to open our eyes and see how obvious that is. God's fingerprints are everywhere. Whether we look at the magnificent, perfect, intricate, exquisite natural world, whether we look at the world, the workings of the human body, in which there are multiple organs functioning in tandem in a single organism which is absolutely magnificent and perfect. And so wherever we turn our eyes and place our focus, we see God's perfection and God's power and God's kindness. And that is 
um, the primary focus of Sefer Devarim, the mitzvahs of to love Hashem, we have to Hashem lokecha, as we read in the Shema, the mitzvah of the Dafkabo, to cling to Hashem, to build a relationship and think of Hashem all the time and cling to Hashem. So, so the Nesifu Shalom asks, if that is the theme of Devarim, why do we start with Pashas Devarim? Pashas Devarim, Ela Devarim, Rashi says, these are divrei toichachos, these are words of rebuke for the Jewish people. So why does Moshe choose the Sefer that's filled with the love of Hashem, which is the goal um, of every Jew in their spiritual journey? Why is the beginning not reflective of the main body of Sefer Devarim? Excellent question, isn't it? Beautiful and powerful question of Nesiva Shalom. And he answers it also uh, very, very powerfully. And he says that the reason is the pathway to Avas Hashem, the pathway to loving Hashem is Yiras Hashem. Reshis Chachma Yiras Hashem. The beginning of wisdom, the Pasuk that King Solomon wrote, is the, is the fear of God. Now, the fear of God gets a bad rap in our modern world. It's not politically correct. We shouldn't live a life of fear and it's not psychologically healthy. It doesn't mean fear that you're frightened of getting beaten up. A, a infantile fear of, you know, the, the headmaster giving you, uh, caning you. The, the fear in Torah terminology means reverence and awe. We should have awe of Hashem, reverence for God, for the power and for the, the omnipotence of the Creator. And it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. It's something that should drive us. We realize that God is all powerful. We realize the consequences to our actions and our choices. We realize that we have to be in sync with God's rules in order to live a successful life. And that's a positive thing because that's what gets us going. Unless there's that aspect as well, we would all say, oh, these are all very nice ideas, but I'm not going to do anything to curtail my lifestyle. I'm not going to do anything to live in sync with God's morality and God's commandments. It's all very nice and theoretical. The understanding and the reverence for God. And the Torah was given, the Gomorrah says, Retes um, Bezea was given with a trembling because we appreciated God's power. And that's very important to get us moving, to get us going. Unless we have that incentive and motivation, that very rarely gets us to do the spiritual work we're supposed to do. And then that is the motivation to get us to the goal, which is Avas Hashem, which is the love of Hashem. And so the beginning is going to be... Um, Telling Klai Yisrael, uh, really laying down the law and telling Klai Yisrael about their sins and about their mistakes. And that will motivate and drive the Jewish people in order to serve Hashem and in order to bring, uh, to do the work necessary that we are supposed to in our journey, in our um, lifetime that we're given the great gift of life over here. And that is a, a great lesson for Tishabah, is that we need to, Understand the consequences of our behavior, the mistakes that we've made. God gives us a chance to rectify them to Tshuva. But that's our mission. That's our purpose in this world. And that's the message of Tisha B'Av, the consequences we see on Tisha B'Av. And please, God, we should address those weaknesses and those spiritual flaws and uh, return to God's service and fulfill our obligations as Jews. And please, God, see no more suffering and no more hardship. And no more sadness on Tisha B'Av, but rather it should be transformed to a day of joy and celebration for all of Klai Yisrael.
Have a wonderful day and thank you so much for listening.